0: hey everybody welcome to the mary and tom show i'm tom i'm mary this is our show this is our 25th episode mary Ooh. now i spend a lot of time in my childhood reading american superhero comic books and i know from that that multiples of 25 are very important and there are shocking twists like here's a twist mary i have a crush on you that's nice She she's startled guys she didn't know not really um, so today we're going to be answering some listener questions. We put out a, a thing on Facebook saying, you have any questions for us, we'll, we'll answer them on the podcast. It's our 25th uh, podcast. Let's let's celebrate. Um, and we're going to do that, but first we're going to talk about our new game, Table Battles. And that did okay. Yep. As you guys are aware from the previous podcast, we had that available in limited quantities at the get-go because we only have so many wood bits on hand. We have a shipment of wood bits on its way to us, but it hasn't arrived yet. It might arrive by the time you listen to this, but at the moment when we're recording it, we haven't gotten it yet. So we only had so many copies on hand, and we sold all of them for about 14 hours. I think that is the best first day sales we've had for a game since Infamous Traffic. Probably. Okay. Okay and it, it was very gratifying for me because I'm not used to my games doing well now they've been doing well this this last year and I mean Agricola's done well yeah what uh, are you talking so about last. but I mean previ- before we started Hollenspiel I had like 18 different games out and I'm, I was kind of used to them like being ignored by people and now people pay attention to them and they like them and that's that's gratifying okay I'm not used to that I wouldn't mind getting used to it, though. I mean, that that's okay. But the people seem to really be attracted to table battles, and I was kind of worried about that because it's a filler game. Because it's such an unusual game, but it seems to have paid off, so I'm...
1: There's a need for it.
0: Well, yeah, I think there is. You know, not only just having a game that you can play with the, another war game in-between games, like a 20-minute game, but I think it's a good introductory game as far as getting people in into war games. Without them having to worry about, uh, you know, movement points and hexes and combat factors and odd-based CRTs. Mm -hmm. I know you're not a big fan of odd-based CRTs. I hate them. You hate them. Is that what you're talking about? (laughs) I guess so. Okay. So we have uh, some listener questions that we're going to answer.
1: Number one. When does Charlemagne come out?
0: So our game Charlemagne Master of Europe, that's going to come out in November.
1: Number two, what are the differences mechanism-wise between Charlemagne and Agricola? What's new? How is it not a reskin of Agricola Master of Britain?
0: That is a very good question, but first of all, what's wrong with a reskin? If you like something, what's wrong with having more of that something? That said, Charlemagne Master of Europe is very different than Agricola Master of Britain. It's a bigger game, it's a longer game. Part of that has to do with the time period being represented. In Agricola, you have eight turns, and each turn represents about a year. During each year, you have up to five actions, three actions on the first turn, but up to five actions on the other turns. In Charlemagne, because the game over the course of 12 turns covers his entire reign, covered several decades, the time scale is a bit more fungible. Each turn represents X number of years. And over the course of those X number of years, you have a potentially unlimited, but in reality, limited number of actions. Because basically, every time you take an action, as in Agricola, you pull something from the hostile cup as a reaction. And in that cup, there is a turn-end chit. But once you draw two in a, a turn, then that turn ends. Now, because of that, There aren't actions that move chits from the hostile cup back to the unfriendly cup. Because if you did that, then you'd be removing the end-turn chit, and then you wouldn't be able to end the turn at all. And also, uh, an important thing is that when you complete a battle in Charlemagne, just like in Agricola... It resolves the chits that are in the Deadpool, and that includes the end-turn chits. So the end-turn chits will go back into the hostile cup when you do a battle. So if you see the turn's about to end and you want to keep going, you're incentivized to complete a battle. And then that's going to put it back into the cup and extend the turn a little bit. By how much, though, is going to vary because you could just, at the end of that, draw those two chits out again. Who knows? There are more things to keep track of in Charlemagne. You have, first of all, things that sap your victory points, which you did not have in Agricola. So, for example, you have a Byzantine uh, Empire Chit, and when that comes out, it saps your VP, depending on what you have going on on the board. You have Viking raiders that you have to pay off. You have court intrigues that can sap your treasury or your VP. You have the Moors from Spain who are... Encroaching on your territory, if they get to a certain point, you're actually going to lose the game outright. Uh, Of course, you also would lose the game if you lost a battle or if you failed to meet the VP threshold. Another thing that does that is a requirement for minimum military strength. So each unit you have in your army has a level associated with it, 1 through 4 and you add up all those levels to get your military strength and you have to hit a certain threshold every turn. If you don't, you don't lose the game, but then you lose victory points equal to the difference. Now that loss is applied after you have checked to see if you hit the VP threshold in every turn except for the last turn where you just have to hit it. So you won't lose the game because of your minimum military strength on this turn, but it might make it harder to get to that threshold next turn. Now in order to win the game, Uh, You not only have to make it through until turn 12 and have hit the VP threshold, but you also need to have built up four of the game's six regions with infrastructure. In order to build that infrastructure you need to have a marquee in the region and you need to have built a finished church. And the church is a two turn process similar to the way the settlements were built in Agricola. In addition to that, you have to possess the Iron Crown of Lombardi, which you should be able to do on the first turn, usually, and you need to be crowned Holy Roman Emperor. Now in order to be crowned Holy Roman Emperor, you need to end a turn in Rome with the full approval of the Pope, so you need to get the Papal Approval Modifier, or PAM, all the way to its maximum. In order to do that, you need to have accomplished certain things throughout the game that will increase your PAM. And one of those things is you need to have victory points at the end of the turn equal to the threshold for the next turn. So at least one point during the game you need to get ahead of the curve on VP and that can be tricky. Uh, Because of all these things going on it's a more complex game and there is more replay value. I think Agricola has a lot of replay value but at the same time it's a shorter game, it's more constrained and you have a limit of 38 actions you're going to take over the course of the entire game and you're always kind of gearing up for that big boss fight at Mons Grappius so in a way the narrative kind of is constrained and defined and it can be easier to kind of build that engine early on they'll see you through the rest of the game it's still tricky and i still lose more often than i win with agricola but there's less replay value there than with charlemagne still
1: a lot of replay value there oh yeah don't sell it short
0: i'm not i'm not trying to sell it short i just i know there have been people who who felt that the replay value wasn't as much as they would like i think they'll find more replay value here in charlemagne it seems to be easier for euro gamers to win at agricola than war gamers because they're kind of used to engine building and maximizing efficiency and all that. Mm-hmm. And there's an element of that in Charlemagne, but because the length of the turns is somewhat random, I think there's less of a chance that player will be able to come up with an optimal strategy right out of the game. I mean, I have won the Charlemagne twice, and I think a couple of other playtesters have won it once, Most people just lose, which is fine for a solitary game. That's what you kind of want out of it is a high uh, loss-to-win ratio as long as the losing doesn't feel cheap, as long as it doesn't feel like you are at the mercy of, of dice or whatnot. And I don't think that's the case in Agricola, and I don't think that's the case here in Charlemagne.
1: Number three. Do the battles in Charlemagne have a greater impact on the game than in Agricola? In Agricola, a single lost battle can end the game suddenly. As Charlemagne is a larger game with bigger armies, will not this force players to choose a more cautious path during the first few turns? Or does Charlemagne allow for this and provide larger initial armies to the player?
0: So in Charlemagne, losing a single battle will lose you the game. You do start with a larger army. Off the top of my head, you either have 14 or 16 units in your army, and you have a single army. Now, in Agricola, you had your forces and the enemy forces kind of arrayed against each other on a staggered square grid which basically is like a hex grid but you have basically one area for each side in Charlemagne each army is divided into a left and a right wing so your left wing attacks their right wing and your right wing attacks their left wing the combat within each wing works pretty similarly to the combat in Agricola though there is some unit differentiation Uh, between cavalry and infantry units in this case and the battle will end when either wing from either side is routed. If you route the enemy left wing you win the battle. If you route the enemy right wing you win the battle. If one of your wings gets routed you lose the battle. Now you can move units from one wing to another if they're cavalry units and you have a reserve that you can use to move units to one wing or the other but once you have lost one of those wings you know you're basically getting outflanked and and you've lost uh, the battle and the game. Now as in Agricola the player is kind of favored to win most combats within a battle and to win most battles. You have a lot of advantages that the other guy does not have but you still don't want to go into a battle with a teeny tiny army. If you've taken a couple lumps in previous battles you don't necessarily want to go into battle again and battle should not be your primary means of, of solving your problems. is something you have to do in order to develop your army and keep your minimum military strength up because you need to do that in order to not lose VP at the end of the turn. You also can deal with enemy units through the suppress action which is very similar as to Agricola where you're rolling against their resistance rating. There's also a siege action which you use to lay siege to the enemy and that can be useful in that it can generate wealth and eliminate a whole stack. The problem with that though is when you do a siege action you're rolling against double the rating and if you fail you are required to continue taking that siege action until it succeeds or until the turn ends. So you can get bogged down in a siege if you don't choose your targets very carefully Siegecraft, of course, was a very important part of warfare of this era, and you're more likely to see a military solution to a problem taking the form of a siege or taking the form of just kind of a show of force, of having an army in the area, than an actual decisive set piece, I line up my guys, you line up your guys' battle, because those battles are inherently risky, historically, and there is a risk involved in the game but if you're building up your army and deploying them wisely you're more likely to win a battle than lose one
1: number four are there any more shields and swords titles in your future
0: there are more titles in our future the next title in the shields and swords 2 series is the great heathen army that should be coming out in the first quarter of next year that is the plan anyway we'll see how that works this is the largest shields and swords 2 game that we've ever done there are eight battles in this game. That is more battles than the three previous games put together. The eight battles in here are all played on 17 by 22 inch maps. The hexes are slightly larger than in Battles on the Ice and Grunewald, so there's slightly less hexes on the map, but it's still much larger than the 11 by 17 space you're playing on with House of Normandy four of the battles take place during the reign of alfred the great and then the other four battles take place in the period after that leading up to the victory of canute at Assendon. it is the biggest shields and swords 2 game that we've done it's also going to be the most expensive because there's more stuff in it there'll be more shields and swords 2 games coming out at least one other one, I think, in 2018. I'm not sure the exact one yet. It might be the one in Ireland. We're also planning on a shields and swords ancients.
1: Will you change the name to uh, swords and sandals?
0: I don't know if changing the name to swords and sandals or not. <laughs> spears and sandals, maybe. Okay, spears and sandals. I don't know.
1: Shields and swords. Shot and shell.
0: Yeah, I do a lot of S and S stuff, but you know, it might it might make sense to keep it shields and swords, and then just add ancients to it because that tells people that this is the shields and swords system but it's been changed for ancient warfare
1: um i don't actually want you to change it i know i was just kidding and i know i didn't expect you to add it to the uh,
0: podcast (laughs) but i thought that'd be a good answer to give people what our thinking is there because we have so many series that do have Yeah, the... but I
1: think Shields and Swords, Ancients is a lot smarter than Spears and Sandals or Swords and Sandals or any of that. Yeah. Sand and Sandals.
0: I mean, that's what happens when you wear sandals. Does, that's yeah. why they're called sandals, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. I could be completely wrong on that, but i pretty sure that's why they're called sandals.
1: Yep. Number five now?
0: Number five? All right
1: number five i've
0: been talking a lot because i'm drinking oh my goodness number five
1: number five are you having a holiday sale and will there be a freebie game
0: so we will be doing a holiday sale in december this year like we did last year i don't think the prices are going to be at the same kind of discount that we offered during our anniversary sale. The anniversary sale was successful for us and that we sold a lot of games. And we also spent a lot of money to have those games printed and produced. But in the end, we did not have a whole lot of money as a result of that because of the discounts that we were offering. I think after talking about it, Mary and I decided that come the December sale... We're probably going to offer just a straight discount of you know five bucks off each game or something, so don't like wait for the December sale necessarily because you think you're gonna save ten fifteen bucks and something again because that really was not perhaps the best business decision, but we're learning, and we looked at it kind of as like loss leader as it were because people who bought those games for the first time from us during the anniversary sale are hopefully more likely to buy more of our games during the the year
1: There were a lot of first time customers for us that was a good thing yeah
0: now if you do buy something at our holiday sale though you will be in addition to getting some money off you will be getting a free game we did that last year with christmas at white mountain which then gave birth to table battles which has worked out pretty well for us and we have a game planned for the holiday sale we're not ready to announce the name of the game yet but we can tell you the name of the designer who's the designer that one mary i forget his name Tom Russell. Tom Roussel, yeah, he's he's kind of a weirdo, but A.K.A.
1: Tom Russell. His
0: games are okay, but we're not paying him, so I mean, that, that's great. So this this freebie game it's a roll and move game. So you roll dice to generate movement points, and then you know move your guys using those points. And it also uses an odds based CRT, which I've only done before exactly once, and that was kind of as kind of a challenge or a dare to myself. You know, you have one to one odds, two to one odds, three to one odds, you have column shifts. But the CRT is completely deterministic. There is no die rolling on the CRT, only die rolling to move. But once you move them into battle, that part is completely deterministic. We're looking at getting an artist to do the map art for the game. Uh, Christmas and White Mountain have kind of a crummy map that, that I splashed together. So this will be a, a much nicer map, uh, which will of course cost us money. but Every copy of the game is gonna be a loss anyway. It's just a very small loss, so we figured, well, we'll do, it, we'll, do it, we'll do this for you guys. Sounds good to me. Well, I think I've used up my talking quota for the week, so it's gonna be very silent for the next week for Mary. I'm sure she's grateful for that. So, uh.
1: I'm not saying anything to that. <laughs>
0: You're not saying anything to that. <laughs> You'll not dignify that with a response.
1: Uh, that is correct.
0: Bye, everybody.
1: Bye. Bye.